Hello and welcome to this first Faber podcast special of 2010. My name is George Miller, and I'm delighted to say my guest today is David Peace, whom I met last year to talk about the second book in his Tokyo trilogy, Occupied City, which has just appeared in paperback. Like its predecessor, Tokyo Year Zero, this book's starting point is a true crime. In this case, the poisoning of 16 people in a Tokyo bank in 1948. But the ripples go far beyond the crime, taking in Japan's occupation of China and its biological weapons programme, as well as the Americans' presence in Japan as occupying power after the war. The fragmented nature of the city is captured in what one reviewer called brilliantly rendered, savagely broken staccato prose. But before we get on to the writing, I wanted to know more about the Hirosawa case itself, on which the book is based. Is it a crime that everybody in Japan knows about, I wondered, part of cultural folk memory? Yeah, uh, yes. I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say probably everybody, but I, I, I came across it, though, through a book called um, Shocking Crimes of Post-War Japan. This, this is where I also found the, the case for, the, for Tokyo Year Zero and also the, the, the case that will be um, resurrected, the third book. But the Kodaira case in Tokyo Year Zero is, is quite obscure. And, and it's not part of, as you say, folk memory. But the, the, the Teigen jiken, the, the, the Teigen incident, as it's known in Japan, is very much part of folk memory, um, mainly because there's an ongoing campaign to clear posthumously the name of a man who was convicted of the crimes. And that man remained in prison till he was 95. Yes, and, and, he, di- and, and he died on death row of natural causes and I believe holds some kind of record as the person who's lived longest on death row without ever being executed. The, the man who was his lawyer, his son actually then became Hirasawa's adopted son because of the technicality in the law, I think you have to be a, a relative or a family member in order to, 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 keep the, to keep an appeal process going after someone has died. And so um, Hirasawa's adopted son continues to campaign to clear um, his adopted father's name. And, and so, you know, on, on, on the anniversary of a crime in January every year, there is some kind of, you know, demonstration or, or, or feature on TV. Hirasawa, the man as well who was, who, was, who was convicted, and as obviously I believe wrongly convicted of a crime, was also an artist. And once a year there's an exhibition in Tokyo of, of his artwork, again, in order to try to raise public interest in, in, the, in the issue. So can you say just what the bare bones of this crime were and what in particular attracted you as a novelist to it it's occupied japan it's um january 1948 the city is being rebuilt but it's still much of it in ruins disease is is still very much rife the americans are a presence but actually in terms of interaction with the general population it's quite minimal they they stick to their own areas and they are presence they're a presence in that they're, they're in trucks and, and, and driving around. They're a military presence. A man walks into a bank in in the Ikibukuro area of Tokyo. He is Japanese, but he is wearing the armband that marks him as a member of the occupation in that he's representing the occupation. He says he is a doctor. He says there has been an outbreak of dysentery in the area. He says that he needs to give each member of the bank the, 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 the antidote, the medicine that, will, that will, will inoculate them against the dysentery. This is after the bank's closed. The assistant manager gathers the 16 people around. The, the doctor pours out the medicine in 16 teacups. Within minutes, 10 are dead instantly. 
two then die later in hospital and four people survive. Some money went missing from a bank, but by no means all the money. And again, this is this this is again open to debate about. I mean, because the the crime scene was so open, it's not clear whether actually this so-called doctor took the money or whether actually just neighbours or policemen could have taken it. Fast forwarding six months to the August of '48, a man called Hirasawa, a slightly known painter, is arrested and charged. He first confesses and then denies it and as we said earlier he's he's sentenced to death but never executed and dies many many years later of natural causes what you know attracted me to it from from a point of view of writing a novel about it was that i felt that well i feel strongly if you're going to write about crime you you have to have i think something beyond a kind of voyeuristic interest in the crimes and the deaths and 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 so on you, you can argue that all crimes to some extent say something about the society in which they're created in but i think some crimes say much more than others and i felt that this crime provided a way of looking at again a city under occupation about what it means to be i mean to, to backtrack a little bit to, with tokyo year zero to me it was to write about what it was to be a city in a time of defeat this to me is a book about what it is to be a city under occupation the, the, the you know the defeat the occupation had, had led to a situation where you had like I mean to be very literal about it there was disease was rife in the city these people drank this medicine because they believed that this man was part of the occupation that he came with the authority of the occupation and that he then you know was going to cure them and, and save them from this illness and and so they, 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 they took his words on trust and did as he asked because he represented the occupation so you know again this couldn't really have happened without the occupation I also think the way in which conspiracies have formed around the case, and this is one of the reasons why I use 12 different narrators to tell the story, the very many conspiracies that have formed around it, again, said a lot about the, uh, about the occupation, you know, and, and generally about the way we talk about crimes and, uh, in, in, in society, in, in present day society. You know, some people believe the Americans were complicit in the crime. Some people believe that the, the crime was linked to the Japanese bacteriological warfare unit when they themselves were the occupiers in China. And that the Americans, which, which and this, this we do know to be true, that the Americans um, took the information that, that the Japanese bacteriological warfare scientists had gained through experiments on civilians in China and they took this information and used it themselves for their own research and, and then gave the Japanese scientists and soldiers involved in the, in what, in the atrocities in China, they gave them basically a free pass. Some people think that the, that the Russians were somehow involved in it and the, um, again there's the, there's the start of the Cold War is played out almost through the crime. So there's many different dimensions to the crime and so obviously it's, I think that the crime says, says some, there's something more to the crime than if you like simply 12 murders. Mm. Um, and that's not to dismiss the victims who I think are central to the novel and I keep bringing it back to the victims because at the end of the day despite all the conspiracies 12 people died you mentioned the 12 narrators and I wondered did you have this body of material the desire to write the novel and then did a, did a light bulb come on and you, you could you could see it as a polyphonic narrative rather than as a single investigation <coughs> by a detective well it took actually that, that light bulb did come on but it took a while to come on um you know, I finished Tokyo Year Zero, which is a single narrative voice, really. And I, what I wanted to do was, and, and I began the novel using two detectives. And there are remnants, in a way, that the, the, the ruins of these narratives remain in the book. 
but it was alternating detective voices. One detective who believed Hirasawa was guilty, one detective who believed he was innocent. And it went back and forward throughout. throughout. And yet, as I said, the case has so many kind of conspiracy theories linked to it and different people have so many different opinions about it that I felt that like you couldn't really shoehorn, if you like, all the different perspectives into these two detectives. And, and also, to some degree, I felt I was kind of repeating a formula I'd already done a bit with the Red Riding Quartet. And so thinking, say, more of GB84, the book I wrote about the miners' strike, where I use many different narrative voices. Again, some, something like the miners' strike, which touched, touched the lives of millions of people, and a case like this, which touched, again, not millions, but thousands of people. When you're dealing with very, very complex stories, the novel can seem an immensely limiting form. It was very constrictive um, the way it was the way I was trying I was approaching it, and then to open it out and to make it twelve seemed to 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 be able to put all the different versions of the truth in inverted commas forward. And if you like, let me and let as a writer and you as a reader decide which is the version you believe. And you had a Japanese antecedent in doing yeah, that. Yeah, because the, the light bulb was switched on by Akutagawa, mm-hmm. the ghost of Akutagawa, because, um, yeah, I mean, Akutagawa is, is probably best known because um, Kurosawa filmed two of his short stories as Rashomon, and people talk about the Rashomon effect. The film Rashomon is based basically on the story in a grove, and Akutagawa in this story um, uses the, the rape of a woman and the murder of her husband as the basis for six different competing narratives. It's a short story. And I thought, I mean, other people have done it. Many people have done it. But, I, but this was the light bulb for me that, that, that gave me a way to kind of approach this crime and to present these 12, in many, in many ways, conflicting narratives. And that, that's a short story. But in moving to the broader canvas of a novel, it clearly presents greater challenges both for the novelist and for the reader. Yeah, it does. I mean, it was challenging to write. I... I, and and, and I, I suppose some some people might find it challenging to read, but to to, to I mean, in, in one way you could read it if you like as twelve short stories, and actually with with within themselves, I actually think they're quite straightforward. I think the the problem is, and it's the problem I find with my daily life, is when you put them when when the narratives are competing against each other is when the problems arise. But in themselves, they're relatively straightforward. Well, almost all of them are. And you mentioned the importance of not losing sight of the victims when you're writing about mm, crime mm. and it seemed to me that bound up with that was putting the figure of a writer in the foreground yeah. of this story implicating yeah. the writer so it yeah. wasn't simply a, yeah. an omniscient figure yeah. looking down on the, the doings yeah. of, of human beings yeah no and i, I mean the, the, the writer in the book is actually a cat i mean it's not you know i mean you know anybody who puts pen to paper is indulging in some kind of vanity but it's not actually i mean the writer is a character in his own right it's not actually me particularly but you know it goes back to this but for, for all along i've had this kind of very uncomfortable relationship with writing about crime in the form of a novel and and i mean obviously specifically the crime novel because you you know there's no escaping the fact that for for, for very many people read crime novels and myself included, as a form of entertainment. And I've never felt very comfortable with with the notion of crime as entertainment, whether that be imagined crimes or real crimes. Because, I mean, you know, murders, even if you imagine a murder, you are st- there are obviously still precedents every day. And, and we turn this into a form of entertainment. And, 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 I mean, there's a lot in the book is to do with the 
if you like, the ethics and morality of, of turning crime, and then specifically true crime, into a form of entertainment. Repetition is a large part of the stylistic, mm. stylistic character of the novel. Mm. And it seemed to me that that was kind of pointing in two directions, possibly. One was towards the sort of the ritualistic, the sort of threnodic commemoration of the dead. Mm. And the other was sort of pointing towards madness and disintegration in the way that when someone is sort of suffering from mental disintegration, things can kind of compulsively repeat in their heads. And it seemed to me that you were you were playing with both of those, not playing, but deploying both of those strategies in using repetition. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, I, would, agree, I would agree. And I would, I would say there's also a third strategy, which a strategy is a bit grand. A third, I mean, I've always said that I think one of it, one of the um, one of the, one of the main features of life under democratic capitalism is the very repetitious nature of that life. And in a way, the, the book is, is 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 also a kind of commentary, a commentary on that as well. I mean, you've got so so the, the repetition works t- to me in in three ways. There's the, there's the there's the prayer like use of repetition where it is like in order to remember people and not to forget in order in order not to forget them and then there is the the, the, the repetitious way in which we try to hold on almost try to hold on to some some form of reality but in the way that it could also as you as you say it can also almost drive you mad Mm -hmm. and then there is also the notion that i mean it seems to me on the one hand we're being we're being told to seek new things but you know, in a way, the crime novel itself is intensely repetitious. But crime novels, really, as a genre, are one of the most repetitive mm. there are. And and that there's, a, there's, an, there's an element of commentary on that in the book as well. Yeah, there's, there's an expectation set up that yeah. has to be delivered upon if, to, if you yeah. fulfil certain. The actual the actual structure is intensely repetitious. Mm. And you know, you could go into. We could walk down to Borders now, or, or to Waterstones, and we'll be filled. You know, you'll be able to sit with no disrespect, but I mean, they're going to be interchangeable numbers of books that are really just repetitions. And 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 this book is part of it, but also in a way, one of the things I had like written above the desk as I was writing was just anti-crime. The anti-crime novel was what I was trying to write. You mentioned the fact that. Some of the P- the PCs could almost some of the chapters could almost be read as a separate yeah, narrative, yeah. like short stories, yeah. and that really rang true for me with the narrative of the gangster in yeah. particular, and that seemed to me that whereas most of the narratives are confined yeah. in the 1940s, that one really seemed to to reach out to yeah. to sort of 21st century Japan. Say yeah, something about yeah. him because I, I was really fascinated that, that that really sort of opened a door in the narrative. Yeah, well, I'm glad you yeah because you know some people are not keen on that, but to me that that actually if if you because all along, I've seen the, you know, to be my usual pretentious self, the, the architecture of the trilogy. And actually, that narrative, that particular gangster narrative, comes at what will be the middle point of the entire trilogy. And it opens up, it's like, in a way, the trilogy is a bit like a kind of mountain, and that's the peak of a mountain, but really sums up. In that narrative, to me, you've got everything that is wrong with, specifically, Japan, 
but not only Japan. Japan is a blatant example of, of something that is an inherent flaw in all democratic capitalist societies. Mm. And it seemed to me that Tokyo as a city was standing for more than just Tokyo. It was standing for other manifestations of, of occupied well, cities and yeah, cities in similar situations. Well, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you think so. No, but I, 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 I mean, one reason why I deliberately took the Tokyo out of it was to try to show that... This is this this is a this is a book set during an actual occupation. But I mean, I personally believe we all live in occupied cities, and not only are the cities occupied, but we ourselves are occupied. Again, I would say by the manifestations of democratic capitalism. Is one of the things you want to do to bring to light something which is not not very much depicted, certainly in English, a period of history? I mean, I imagine if you go to present-day Tokyo, it's very difficult to to get the sort of atmosphere that you evoke in the book. It's almost like it's been erased. It's, it's what you're trying to do to sort of bring back some kind of historical consciousness that, that you think is in danger of being lost. I mean, well, very much this Tokyo that you see, apart from, as you say, in the gangster narrative, this Tokyo is is gone. As I said, it you know, it, it, it kind of... I was, trying to, I was trying to work on two levels in that I wanted the book... You know the crimes are rooted in a specific time and place, but but also then to 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 widen it so that there were there were parallels to the way we live now and the cities we live in now. But but in 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 I suppose in all the books as well there is this feeling of um, lost histories and lost narratives and um, you know what other histories we pass on, what other histories we teach. You know, even if we resurrect, if you like, a crime such as this, how do we do it? Do we turn it into to entertainment? Do we do we? How how, how wh- wh- you know what is our now in two thousand and nine? What is our relationship with the past? Mm-hmm. Is again part part of the, the book. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you finally, David. Do you know yet what you're going to do with the third book in the trilogy? Has it coalesced in your mind? Yeah, I know what the story deals with. I know the structure and starting next week I'll begin and it should be finished by the end of March I mean I'm very excited about it because it's whereas Red Riding I kind of made it up as I went along with this I've kind of you know had a kind of plan all along so all all, all shall be revealed <laughs> thank you very much I was talking to David Peace about Occupied City which is out now in paperback as is the first volume in the trilogy Tokyo Year Zero full details of David's earlier books can be found on the Faber website at faber.co.uk. I hope you've enjoyed this Faber podcast special, and you'll join me again later this month when my guests in the January podcast will include New York novelist Jonathan Leatham. Until then, thank you very much for listening, and goodbye.